I'm Laura Cox Kaplan. This is She Said, She Said. artistic director of the Washington Ballet, a role she assumed in 2016 after a 30-year career as a professional ballerina. Julie is actually the longest-serving principal dancer at the legendary American Ballet Theater Company in New York. Any athlete able to continue competing or performing professionally well into their 40s is in and of itself remarkable. For those who don't follow professional dance, Julie is like the Tom Brady of American Ballet. She began her career at the tender age of 16 and stopped dancing as a principal in 2015 at age 45. There is something about Julie that is equal parts delicate but strong, quiet but confident. She is the physical embodiment of a prima ballerina, even now after having stopped dancing in front of an audience. Julie is taking her remarkable career and using her experience to lead, to have an impact, and inspire the next generation of dancers while also breaking ground as one of only a few women who have ever served as artistic directors of national ballet companies. Julie, welcome to She Said, She Said. Thank you. So happy to be here. Well, it's a pleasure to be here with you in your office at the Washington Ballet. Thank you. Welcome. <laughs> Talk about what's involved with the role of artistic director. For those who don't know, right. uh, who are not involved in the area of dance, what do you do? Uh, everything. It's a very comprehensive role. One of the most important aspects of my role as artistic director is to identify and develop talent, bringing dancers to the, this company as well as supporting dancers that have been in this company either several years or many, many years to work towards fulfilling and expanding their potential, realizing their potential. And that's it. That itself is really the most gratifying part because it is ballet is one of the art forms that's really handed down from generation to generation. So everything that I learned from all of these people that you see on the walls of my office and that Victor learned from his incredible um, career at um, American Ballet Theater. Victor's your husband. Victor Barbie, who is my husband. He's the Associate Artistic Director of the Washington Ballet, but he is also a former principal dancer with American Ballet Theater for over 20 years and has had a really remarkable career in his own right and has worked with everyone, Nerea, Marishnikov, and Jerry Robbins, and Balanchine, and all of the, the really great influencers of our art. So that's really the greatest joy is, is the art itself. And so that's one aspect, just helping the dancers really fulfill their potential and surpass their potential. Then it's um, selecting the, the repertoire, the programming. So the programming, again, is I, I look at it from three points of view. One is how do we help develop and educate 
the dancers? How do we help develop and educate and inspire the audience? And institutionally, you know, a, a repertoire for a ballet company is like a collection in a museum. It's a very clear indicator of the caliber of the institution. It's an indicator of the spectrum of their talent and and the level at which they are able to execute different ballets. It, you know, it's 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 a very very much a determiner, the repertoire. So building a repertoire that um, helps the dancers be, be successful and helps the audience be inspired and thrilled by the rise of the company and as well just build the gravitas of the organization. So there, that's the repertoire. Obviously, the, it's the, the sort of artistic vision, you know, the leader, the, the, the person that fulfills sort of the heart and soul of what the organization is, you know, what is it that we aspire to achieve? How can we, and you know, from my point of view, I, what I want for this organization is really to represent our art form in all of its, in, in all ways that our mission mandates in our education programs, in our community engagement programs, and in, in the stage, that we represent our art form at the highest level and that we, we benefit our community at the highest level. We, we benefit our community with the beauty of our art form in the deepest, most meaningful way. And that we build a, a sort of collective culture that's based on trust and respect and fairness and appreciation. And things that you really hope for in, in an arts organization. You know, that's the purpose of art is really to celebrate humanity and to make you glad to be human. That's really what separates us from every other species on this planet. So that's what you're looking for in an arts organization is an institution that really inspires you and makes you feel so glad to be alive. And so that's what we aspire to every day. And so as the artistic director, my, my role is to, to, set, to set that, to make that sort of expectation known, and then inspire people in the community, the board of directors and patrons and the broader community to, to join us and support that. And so that I, I guess those are would say the, the three greatest sort of buckets of my responsibility. In working with your dancers, because you bring this tremendous experience all of these years as dancing in dancing as a principal to this role. How does that impact the way that you work with them? Everything is about trust. I mean, that's at the end of the day, that's what it is. And, you know, I was a dancer that was developed. I did not arrive at American Ballet Theater at age 16 a great ballerina. I arrived a 16-year-old ballet dancer that had never had professional experience and I was so fortunate to have had so many people mentor me, guide me, help me become, evolve into a ballerina for for the company. But it didn't happen just because it happened. It happened because people helped me. So I, I understand that process of how you 
help a dancer get from where they are to where they want to be. And it's a combination of support, setting expectations, supporting those expectations, and pushing them. If you believe somebody can do it, then you should say, you know, I believe in you and you, you, need, you can get here. And then that's the inspiration that they really hold on to. Because obviously, as a, as a dancer, there's a, you're, you're very vulnerable. I mean, it takes a lot of courage to put yourself on the stage in the, in the spotlight and in, in terrain uh, under uh, such pressure. So knowing that you have the support of your organization, of your leader, and, and their trust in you goes a really long way. How do you know, as you're developing a dancer, right? You've talked about all of these different components that you're looking at, but how do you know which ones are likely to really make it and become those tremendous principal dancers like you were, Mm -hmm. um, and which ones are probably not going to make it? You know, in a company the size of the Washington Ballet, everybody is, it's a small enough company that there's enough room for, for everyone to sort of have their moment to, to have a feel that their presence is an integral part of the success of the company. When you get to a company that has 85 dancers, that, that's a harder to give each individual that kind of feeling of that their presence makes all the difference in the world. But where you start is that just to have the job <laughs> means you're an incredibly I mean just to make it to the major leagues I mean it doesn't mean everyone's become Derek Jeter you know right. or Mariana Rivera but just because you play in the major leagues like that's a cause for an incredible achievement that very few people ever so I think that you know having pride in your institution having pride in whatever role you play whether it's small or large in the evening you know ballet companies aren't it's not just the people in the front. It's it's every single gesture, every movement, every photo. It's a group effort. It's so there there are no small parts. There there really isn't. And and the ones that really you identify, they're 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 dancers that have really incredible focus and really unique physical intelligences. And you know that's that's identifiable. But you also have to understand anybody that gets in this company has a remarkable uh, skill set, you know. So they're all excellent. They're all great. It's just there are, like in any field, there are certain individuals that a combination of factors, whether it's focus and just ability to interpret information and physicalize it and and also the whole creative the whole artistic creative nuance and sense of um how to move people i mean that's mm-hmm. you know that's really in, in a very integral part of having a great career is translating the technique into an experience not yeah. just a technical experience, but the technique serves the greater purpose, an artistic experience. So. Yeah. So you were kind enough to invite me over to watch you work mm-hmm. as you were preparing for the performances of Sleeping Beauty, which was fabulous. Thank you. And I was struck, and I also brought my daughter, as you will recall, who's nine, who pointed out to me after the fact 
the way in which you worked with your dancers. And mm. she had some very specific observations about <laughs> the fact that you were you were very collaborative in the way in which you coached them. And you would say, how does that feel? Try it this way. How does that feel? You know, and it was not so much directing and saying, mm. do it this way. It was much more collaborative, this notion of being invested together and having them experience it for themselves, which I thought was really interesting and probably comes as a result of the fact that you've been there yourself, right? You are somebody who's experienced this and you want them to feel the art form, I'm assuming. Every dancer has a unique voice, so they need to develop their own voice. It's not, I was never coached by Natasha McCarver or Georgina Parkinson or any of the great ballerinas that I had, Patricia McBride, that I had the opportunity to work with, do it like I did. That's not how it, that's not how you do it. You allow you identify in the in the dancer that's in front of you what is unique and special about them, and you try for, to to develop that and allow for them the freedom to develop their own voice. That being said, the technique of classical ballet is specified. Fifth position is fifth position. It's not something like fifth position. You know, they're, they're just like do, re, mi, fa, so, like those are the notes. It's not, <laughs> and there's no way around that. So there are, there are elements of technique that need clarity, but how you dance is a very special individual thing. What we look for and, and what Victor, I mean, Victor was my mentor for so many years. So, so much about what I learned, what I know about dance and ballet and helping people is because I was the recipient of all of that kind of uh, nurturing from him and from Kevin McKenzie and Georgina Parkinson and all of the the people I work with at ABT. So they again, it was never a do it this way, but it was you know almost like you see something the way somebody does something that inspires you to want to see more of that, and and that's how you develop their specific talent. Let's talk a bit about career transition, mm. or re, or more in your case, I think career evolution. Shifting from, you were the longest serving principal dancer at American Ballet and celebrated as the company's reigning dramatic ballerina from 1985 to 2015. I can imagine it, that was a big shift to change from being in front on, on the stage, dancing in front, to moving into more of a supportive role. What was that like for you? Were you ready for that? Was it a difficult transition? How did it feel? <laughs> it was definitely a difficult transition, but maybe not for the reasons that you would expect. I think I describe my sort of farewell from the stage as the most beautiful and difficult experience of my life because it was a process of saying goodbye to something that I had loved so deeply for so many years. And, you know, I still get emotional thinking about it because I think that's just a testament to how much I loved dancing, how much I loved the people I danced with, and how much I loved the people that taught me everything I knew. So that's good that I feel that way about it. And that's what I hope to inspire in 
the dancers today because that is what fuels my passion to move the art form forward. So the other part of my role as artistic director that I didn't talk about is as a steward and a protectorate of the art form. So what is this art form that was developed centuries ago where there wasn't representation, there wasn't balance, there wasn't equity? Like what it, what is, how can we take this uh, centuries-old art form and bring it into the 21st century and have it look and feel like we, as not just the national community, but as a global community, want performing arts to look and feel. And so stewarding the art form in general, be it in within the Washington Ballet, but also within the broader community, is a huge part of that. And it all comes back to the love of the art form. So when I when I had to come to terms with the fact that I was transitioning from dancing itself to how can I, how can I serve the art form? So now I'm in a service role. Um, it was just it was painful and sad, and it still is. But it, it's not a, it's not a. I wish I could. I mean, I do wish I could still do it, but not again. Not literally. It's just. It's a love. It's. 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 Um, it's a natural evolution, you know, and I am just so, so grateful for my career. Those 30 years you're talking about are, are 30 years in, in my lifetime and 30 years in the lifetimes of all the people that were watching me, you know. So we have people in the audience that maybe saw my debut in Giselle when they were 30 and saw my final performances Giselle when they were 60. I mean, that's a lot of life to share. <laughs> you know? So, I mean, that's so much of why it was so sort of monumental for all of us is that it was a celebration of where we started the conversation, everything that this art form can do to benefit the world, you know, me individually, but also just the artistic community of American Ballet Theater and and what that company represents nationally and globally and so I'm just trying to to you know really serve the art form in, in a different capacity in in my role here at the Washington Ballet. How difficult was it on the heels of that's a big tr- a career transition mm-hmm. right very big deal to transition from there into a new position in a new city upending your family, getting them on board with making this transition. What was that like? A tremendous challenge, yeah. You're the mother of two. Yes. Victor and I have two children, teenager and nine-year-old. And it really goes back to the reasons why we accepted this role. It was professionally to have the opportunity to contribute to the artistic and cultural landscape of our nation's capital, one of the most important cities, if not the most important city in the world. I mean, that is a huge, profound opportunity that, again, when you're talking about serving your art form, we need to present our art form that I love so much at the highest level in this city and not just rely on touring companies to come and bring that to our city once a year. We need to have that art 
as part of our landscape that we own as a community and we support as a community. And that is something that I feel very strongly about because, again, it, it's, a, it's a deficit in the landscape. So that's our goal here is to just take it up to that level of where we can be represented at, at the highest level. So professionally, that's what brought us here. And then personally, Victor is very, very supportive and was really, he had been at ABT for 42 years. So he was just that husband that you all uh, hope that you have that is uh, willing to support you in in the next venture. And so I, I really wanted to be the person to accept the challenge. I wanted to show that to my children, and I, I just felt like part of what was making me so hesitant was a fear of going outside this community that I had grown up in since I was a teenager. I mean, I had the same locker for 30 years, you know, walk through the same doors, walk through, you know, it was very, very uh, much a home. And the idea of sort of going outside of that was frightening. And I didn't want to teach my children not to go outside your comfort zone. But what I have learned is that it's very, very difficult. So they see that too, and I think that uh, it's been an incredible opportunity for growth for all of us, and I think that they are so supportive and recognize the tremendous work that we are doing to serve this organization. It's impacting them in a very, in a very formative and positive way. So beautiful yeah it's beautiful okay you've mentioned victor several yes. times your mm-hmm. partner in life your partner at work your partner in art how did you meet you met at the american ballet <laughs> theater i want to hear the story if you're comfortable sharing it <laughs> yes so you know i had known who victor was on the stage because i obviously was a fan of american ballet theater growing up and but I had never met him. And then we were both cast in the Herbert Ross movie starring Baryshnikov Dancer. So we were on our way out to Hollywood and a limousine came to pick me up to go to the airport to fly out to Hollywood. And there was Victor in the limousine. And so we became friends and uh, we were friends for a long time before we started dating several years and then we dated for four years or so and then we were married in 1996 so yeah so kind of a ballet love story yeah i mean it was when you think of it that way it was pretty it was a pretty unique story yes yeah yeah that's lovely (laughs) (laughs) i'm fascinated by partnerships with your spouse Mm. how do you work through artistic differences if you ever have them we rarely have artistic differences how about other differences um i think it's that our biggest challenges are finding patience (laughs) (laughs) we both spent our careers at a very a large organization with a very long history. (laughs) And so 
coming to a ballet company that is in transformation requires tremendous patience and that is probably the biggest challenge artistically again as as i said i'm i mean he coached me in all my roles and you know we we share a similar sense of aesthetic and what speaks to us and art sort of artistic point of view and and what moves both of us so there's very rare artistic differences but it's more just you know we share the same stress all the time and that is what is the most challenging is you know it's not uh if you have a spouse that has a different stress level and you come home and you you trade so that you both sort of take your mind off what's bothering you but for us we're we're constantly under the same stresses and and having to both find patience for the same things and it does it's not it's certainly not easy do you bring it home with you or do you have I, other interests that you pursue together? we this is a consuming role right now for this company it's it's in a major transformation and again we're trying to take this organization to the next level anytime you're doing that whether it's with a clothing line or a convenience store <laughs> or anything you know it's a huge push it's a sort of 24 hours a day kind of involvement so i mean our children are what gives us our greatest pleasure so um that our son's on a crew team and that we know nothing about rowing and that we're learning about it that's exciting <laughs> that our daughter is taking voice lessons and loves to play the piano and you know that those sort of family elements are what give us the greatest pleasure and so we try to focus on those but it, it is hard to not take it home because it's just so it again it's it's a constant pursuit it's not a you just sure. try to pushing the ball forward all the time. You can't really let go, otherwise it'll roll over you. Yeah. So. You have very ambitious plans for the Washington Ballet. Let's talk more specifically about some of the things that you're working on. I know you have a program coming or that's starting called Dance for All. What is that? How does that fit into what you're doing? Right. So as part of our goal to have the entire greater Washington community embrace the Washington Ballet as its own ballet company. We are bringing 50 free performances, lectures, and demonstrations in 30 days to all eight wards of our city. It's called Dance for All, and we will be creating site-specific dances to just insert Washington Ballet in areas where you have never seen them before, just to put them in your thought process, to have you consider us. So we'll be at City Center, we'll be at the Cherry Blossom Festival, we'll be at DC Winery, and we'll be all over the city. It's all on our website, and we have free classes. We are going to the military bases. We'll be giving a free performance at, at the ARC, our, at our school studios there. And there's just any number of places that we will be between April and May. And um, it's just a, a huge community engagement effort that we anticipate to grow into Maryland and Virginia and, you know, to just expand as we are able to develop it and, and uh, perfect it. So we're very excited about it. Diversity is a 
big consideration for a very diverse city like mm -hmm. Washington. And I was struck watching your dancers, you have both racial, a lot of racial diversity and a lot of global diversity yes. in the dancers in your company. Talk about both the thought process and the vision as it relates to recruiting a much more diverse group of dancers. Right. I mean, I think it's it's a national mandate. I mean, it's what we all want for our world is to have equity and representation and especially for this art form, again, that was founded in an era where those things didn't exist. It's very, very important to have that as a part of the fabric of the art form. And it begins with accessibility, exposure, education. So if you don't know about ballet, you're not going to study it. So having our school in Ward 8 for 13 years and allowing the access to study our art form and to see performances and to see this sort of trajectory of what a student dancer into professional dancer could be is a huge step into diversifying our professional dancers. That's one area that you focus on. So obviously it's the education, exposure, accessibility. And then it's really just starting back earlier in our conversation, identifying and developing those individuals that you feel have potential and supporting them and, and making it a primary consideration. You know, I'm very grateful to Septine Weber because he really made that that diversity of the Washington Ballet, very a very important part of his um, vision for this company, and so it's about taking building it forward from from there, and especially as the ballet company in the nation's capital, again we have the opportunity to not just meet sort of national standards, but to set them to to be an example in what we really are looking for in our arts organizations, so, and that's one of the things. Septim Weber was your predecessor mm -hmm. in this role, and you have a different approach to the types of the works that you're taking on, the direction of the ballet, notwithstanding the focus on diversity, which is very similar, but how has the shift been received by the audience? Well, I think the, the difference in our approach is reflective of the difference in our artistic experiences. Septim is a choreographer. Septim is not a former dancer. Um, Septim has had his own vision as a choreographer and brought in or commissioned works or brought repertoire to the company that reflected his own taste. And I am a classical ballerina with a very long history in not just classical ballet, which people misunderstand. I had a huge career with probably 50 plus ballets choreographed on me. I've danced the whole spectrum of dance. I've danced Maris Cunningham. I've danced Yuri Killian. I've danced John Newmeyer. I've danced Twyla Tharp. I've dan I mean, I, I danced over 108 plus ballets in my whole career and a, a 
portion of them, yes, were Giselle and Romeo and Juliet and, and Swan Lake and the whole classical canon. But a huge part of my career was having ballets made on me and dancing the, the very diverse rep that American Ballet Theater has. Robbins, Balanchine, the whole, the whole thing. So, yes, my, my vision and is, is that of, of that, uh, that great repertoire that I had exposure to. Whether I danced it or not, my career in New York, that I danced as a guest with the Marinsky Ballet and Teatro um, Cologne and Teatro La Scala and the Stuttgart Ballet in Munich and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, I was exposed to a lot of dance and ballet and classical ballet and contemporary ballet and, you know, the full spectrum. So that's what my vision for this company is. It's a huge spectrum. I want not just, it's not just about classical. It's not just about contemporary. It's about everything from beginning to end. I think one of the greatest misconceptions about our art form is that it's one thing. It's the nutcracker. It's one like, it's not. It, it's a huge spectrum that that our dancers and that all dancers of this time are expected to execute at a very high level and it's very exciting it's very fulfilling as a dancer to be asked to dance the full spectrum so that's the vision as far as it being received i mean we had record-breaking sales for Nutcracker. We sold out Sleeping Beauty. We had incredible audience enthusiasm and critical acclaim for our three world premieres. With anything, it, it takes time to build, but in this is our third season, and I think it's very clear that there's a huge appetite for that ascent for the Washington Ballet to really rise into its full maturity as the Washington Ballet. Because we talk with most, if not all, of our guests on this podcast about themes that all of us tend to encounter at one point or another, fear tends to come up, dealing with perfection, all of these things that sometimes we do to ourselves, we try to give our listeners some practical advice and Mm. suggestions around Mm. that. Talk a bit about fear and nervousness. Were you ever ever nervous getting out on stage? You did this a lot. So... Um, how, what were what were your tools for taming that fear or trepidation? Well, I think there is an enormous amount of nerves or insecurity or I mean there's any there's any different sort of umbrella you want to put it on, but being a performer, you really have to dig down deep and trust yourself and believe in yourself. And for some people, that's an easier process than others. But I think what you have to understand as a performer is that what may make you more sensitive to the insecurity may may also make you a more sympathetic performer. So... I, I think you have to embrace what it is that makes you you. And what we talk about a lot here is something that Victor tried to teach me um, at, when I was a dancer, but I, I really sort of understood it once I was able to step away from it, is that as a dancer, you really have to embrace the pursuit of improvement. 
and many people feel like it's it's misunderstand it to be a pursuit for perfection and it's not dancers aren't looking to be perfect they're looking to be better every day and they get frustrated when they don't see the improvement but it's not it's not perfect and and as Baryshnikov said in one time he said being better is so much more interesting than being the best and whatever the best is because the best is different in art to every single person you know but that understanding from the beginning that you are committing to this mindset that every day you will try to build on what you accomplished the day before and then the next day you set the bar higher and you try to reach that bar and then the next day you set it higher and and that that's an exciting process and that's a process that is rejuvenating and it's a mindset for for life those are the things that you can look at it as i'm never good enough negative mindset bad or you can look at it as in i can always be better you know i i am willing to always try to get to the next level and i'm happy to do so and that because i believe i can again going back to that trust and to people around you continually saying i believe you can be better too so it's it's mutually supportive so that that is what i would love to hear articulated more often instead of dancers are perfectionists or dancers this but dancers are really committed to improvement is what we really are last question we ask every person who comes on the podcast for a single piece of advice life hack or mantra can be something that you wish you had known when you were getting started or something that you tell your dancers what would be yours my profound one I probably just shared about just, you know, committing to improving. What probably the the greatest gift that, that Victor has given me, obviously, of many, many gifts, including our children, is laughter. You know, I think <laughs> laughing and just celebrating joy, you know, finding joyful moments is it's is something that unless you make it a priority it can easily be sort of lost in the mix so i feel like all of us need to just find the joy a little bit more right now that'd be my advice to myself too (laughs) (laughs) it's very good advice Julie, thank you. Thank you. Such a pleasure to be here. Thanks. Thank you. To learn more about Julie, you can visit our website at www.shesaidshesaidpodcast.com. There we will include links to the Washington Ballet, as well as some other notes and some photographs from today's visit. As always, thanks so much for listening.